Good morning. Man, we're so glad you guys are with us. Um, being a part of our South City family, we hope that you feel like family today. Uh, that's the way we see church, if I'm going to just tell you who we are. We think church is not as much about this thing that you attend, but this family that you belong to, right? It's more important to belong to a family than just attend a service. And so we hope that you hear that, we hope that you feel that, and we hope that you feel like you're, you can be, if you're not, a part of our family here at South City Church. Hey, we've been talking about the great commission of Jesus. What does it mean to make disciples? Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all the things that, that I've taught you, he tells his disciples. And he says, lastly, I will be with you to the end of the age. And so we've talked about discipleship. What, is that, what does that even mean? That's kind of a, a, a word that, that is used a lot and, and often the church, the big C church, we don't even know how to do it or, or, or what it looks like. As believers, you might have been a part of a church for a long time and you go, I'm not really sure if I'm a disciple, how to, how to become one, how to make one, I'm not sure. It's, there's a lot of unknowns in this area. And as a church, this is something we really want to be about. You might have seen when you walked in our mission statement that, that we want to love God. We want to love all people and we want to become so this is the act of becoming disciples. We're not there yet, right? We don't, we're not experts here. We just want to say, God, make in us the disciples you want us to be authentically and give us the ability to make other disciples for your glory and for the good of the city. That's our heart as a church, and that's what we're talking about in this Multiply series. Last week, we talked about what it means to be fishers of men. You remember when Jesus uh, said that to his disciples, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right? The, the idea that discipleship is not just something starts when you come to know Christ as your Savior. Oftentimes we think of it that way. Hey, this guy just got saved, he's been baptized, now let's make him a disciple. Right? But, but discipleship doesn't just start at salvation, it starts with lost people. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, people who don't know Christ, and then teach them all that they need to know. Discipleship goes all the way back to lost people. I used the example last week um, of Papua New Guinea. It's an amazing, interesting place. Sounds very exotic, and I believe it is. And I used this example. I said, if God called you to become a missionary to a certain tribe in Papua New Guinea, and you had to go, and what are you going to do, right? Well, the first thing you'd have to understand and begin to do is think like a missionary. You'd have to go, uh, okay, if I'm going to accomplish this task, I've got to start thinking like a missionary. I've got to start realizing that, that there's things I need to do. I need to know what they value. I need to know how to communicate. How do I serve them? How do I communicate this message of Jesus to them? And my point being, we might do that in this place like Papua New Guinea, but do we do it in our neighborhood? Do we think that way at work? Do we think that way with our families? Like, how do I need to communicate? How do I need to know them? How do I need to, to, to love them, to show them, to show God's word into their lives? And so we talked about that last week. Here's the thing I want us to look at today. I want you to know that you're not an accident. You're not. <laughs> None of you are an accident. God had plans for your life. I say this all the time. If, if there's breath in your lungs and there's a plan for your life, right? God wants to use you for his glory, not just the fact that, that he's created you for this time uh, in history, but he's also uh, planned for where you live. Uh, this, is, this is just kind of mind-blowing 
to me today, and I want us to get into this. So the question is, where do you live? Or where do you work? Or where do you play? Because all of those things, we're going to call those circles of influence, that's your mission field. You're like, wait, just, just in my neighborhood, I don't have to go to Africa? You, you can. That'd be awesome if you want to do that. But God's not just calling you there. He's calling you here. He's calling you to where you work, to where you live, to where you go to the gym. Where are your circles of influence? We all have connections. We all have uh, uh, relationships that we frequent every day. The question is, do we see those places as our mission field? You're not an accident. Where you live is not an accident. It's all a part of God's master plan to redeem the world. Did you know that? I want us to look at this text this morning. Um, it's going to be in Acts 17. Some of you are like, I thought we were finished with Acts. Well, I still sneak one in occasionally in Acts. Acts 17, this is a really, really interesting text that I want us to look at today. Acts 17, verse 26. Let me give you a little context to this. This is where Paul is, is on a missionary journey, and he comes to this place in Athens, Greece. And it says that as he goes around the city, he realizes that this place, they worship many gods. In fact, it's a city full of idols. They're everywhere. And what's interesting is Paul comes up to this one idol. I don't know if it was gold or silver or stone or what it was made out of. But it had a label on it, and that label said, unknown God. In other words, in their culture, they were, they were so concerned about all these gods, this kind of pantheistic reality that they didn't want to miss one so they just made one and put to the unknown god just in case we miss one right so what's so brilliant about paul in this moment is that he's speaking to these people that believe this multi-god sort of system and he contextualizes the message of, of jesus with something they understand and he goes i, I noticed you have this uh, this God, this unknown God, and everybody's like, oh yeah, we know, you know the one you're talking about, right? Paul goes, well, I know him. Isn't that interesting? Paul goes, the, the God that you say is unknown to you, he's known to me. I know that God, and I want to tell you about him. You can just imagine their ears perking up, them leaning in. Who is this? What have we not heard? That is the context of this moment in Paul's message in Acts 17. Look with me if you will. Verse 26, Luke says, from one man he made all the nations, referring to Adam there, that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Pray with me this morning as we get into God's word. Father, we love you. Lord, what a joy to read your word. What a joy, God, to learn of your word. God, what uh, an affirming truth to know this morning that my life is not an accident. God, you have a plan for my life. And you have a plan for right where my family lives to reach this world. Help us to see it, understand it, walk in it. Spirit of the living God, I pray that today you would make yourself known and lead us into all truth. God, that in this time I would so decrease and that you would increase 
and that we would understand your word and we would be obedient to it, God, by your grace and your goodness. That is our prayer. That is our heart. Teach us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of things I want us to see from this message of Paul to the, to the Athenians. First, I want you to see that Paul's going right at their false belief. Right? They believe in all these gods, multiple gods, multiple gods. Sort of sounds like Hinduism. They believe in all these different gods. And they create these gods. They make them out of these different materials. And then somehow they, then they begin to worship the thing they made, which doesn't even make sense. And yet we do it as well. So there's all these gods, and Paul goes right at their false beliefs when he basically says this, this thing. All mankind is created by God. One God. One true God. The unknown God that, that you, you put a label on is one true God. There's not multiple gods, but one. In other words, he's creator. He, he made Adam, and from Adam all the nations of the, of the earth are inhabited. There is one God responsible for all men. So he's going right at their false beliefs. Second thing I want us to see is that he's talking about the fact that God is sovereign. God designed our lives. The text says he marked out, depending on your translation, he marked out, he appointed, he planned the fact that you were going to live right now in this time. He marked out, he appointed, he planned right where you live. In this time, God is in control, right? He says, the text says, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, God Almighty, the one true God, is attentive to us. Not only did he create us, but he loves us. He's with us. That goes completely against Epicurean thought, which is who he's speaking to. So they thought God's, uh, their gods were aloof and they're off partying. They're doing their own thing. They don't have anything to do with lowly humans. So he goes right at these false beliefs. He's also speaking to Stoics, another group of people that have their own set of beliefs. And they believe that the more intellect you had, the more ability to reason, the more ability to speak uh, and, and interesting new things, then you could almost become like a god. So Paul goes at this and says, no, we're, we're not divine. And because you can speak well, that doesn't mean anything. In fact, Paul lays out the fact that we're all just sort of groping. Some of your translations say that. There are people who are groping for each other, trying to find truth, trying to find meaning. If that doesn't sound like our culture today, right? People just doing whatever they can, the blind leading the blind, literally. I, when I saw this, I was thinking about it. I was thinking back to my old youth ministry days when we used to get a couple of kids in an empty room. We would blindfold them. We'd spin them around, give them pillows, you know, and just say, go at it. And they, they'd have to try and find each other. And they, they never could. It was like the blind leading the blind. If they ever found each other, then they kind of went off a little bit. But it was fun it was to watch them do that. But that's kind of like what we're seeing here. The reality is, Luke is saying, it's the blind leading the blind. But the purpose of God's sovereignty, that he is over us, that he has created us for this moment, that he's placed you where he's placed you for this moment, shows his heart. And the heart of God is that people know him. The heart of God is that people find him, that they seek him. Right? That, that is his heart. So what does it mean for us in this multiply series? Right? That number one, God's a creator. He created us. Number two, he's sovereign. He's, he's 
placed our lives in this time and where we live. Well, a few years back, uh, Louis Giglio, I think it was, had a series, and he kind of hyphenated the word history, and I loved it. Because when you hyphenate the word history, it says his story. And isn't that what history is? All of history is God's story. If you believe God's sovereign, if you believe God is over all things, then everything that has happened is his story. He's writing into the very minutes and days and months and years of life his goodness and his grace and his heart for people. So God has a plan to use you in history, in his story, right now, right where you live. I want to synthesize some of the past couple of weeks as we talk about this this morning. Number one, we talked about the fact that if you're saved, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then you're sent. Remember that? If God has changed your life, if he saved your soul, then there's an expectation that as he spoke to the disciples, he speaks also to us, that he's with us to the end of the age, that he is sending believers into the world to be missionaries. You're a missionary. Believe it or not, if you know Jesus, you're a missionary. Then last week we talked about the fact that we don't just make disciples of saved people, we, we try to reach lost people. Fishers of men. What does it mean to reach people who don't know Christ? How do we, how do we need to know them? How do we need to, to be praying for them and, and helping them? We talked about the blessed concept. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But discipleship begins with lost people. So we have to go find them. right? So what we're talking about is that today, <laughs> by God's grace, he saved you, I pray. And he sent you as a missionary that you now have the option, the, the opportunity, the blessing to be obedient to God, to be on mission. Now, did you notice that I said that was your option? We, we don't all go. And we don't all see it as uh, something we're called to. And so we just sort of attend. And we sort of say, I sort of believe, but then we never go. But you have the ability, you have, you have this grace of God to, to give you this amazing opportunity to join God in his work. Be obedient to him in mission and make disciples right where you live. There's this uh, Greek word that I've become familiar with in the last couple of years. And I really love the concept of it. It's oikos. Oikos. And what it means is it translates uh, to house or household. And it even can broaden even further to sort of like uh, uh, other relationships you're connected to. So it could mean the people in your home. It could mean uh, your neighborhood friends. It could mean your people you work with, the people that you, you go to the gym with, social gatherings that you're close to. That, is, that could be considered your oikos. Like I said, that, that is your circle of influence. That is your mission field. Doesn't mean that you can't go to Africa, but this is the place that God has planted you. Why? Well, here's the thing there's a good chance that you already have a lot of relationships with these people, right? There's a good chance that you already know a lot of these people that you're in relationship. In fact, there's a good chance that you probably already know who knows Jesus and who doesn't. You probably have a sense of, yeah, they, they value the things of God and eh, not so much, right? You, you have a sense of knowing, possibly, who these people are. You've already earned this relational equity, if you will, in people's lives so that you can know who they are and what they value. Here's the thing, when it comes to discipleship, sometimes when we talk about the Great Commission, our minds go automatically sometimes to seeing people to, 
to, to come to know Christ. That is, that is part of it. It's beautiful. But that's not all of it. Sometimes we think about the Great Commission as just getting converts. We just need people to trust Jesus as their Savior. If we could just preach on the street or we could just go to this place and tell people, yes, that's part of it. It begins, discipleship begins going to lost people and telling them they need Jesus as their Savior. But remember what Jesus said? He said, baptize them and teach them all the things that I've taught you. And not just taught you, teach them to obey all the things that I've taught you. So you can be a, a, a discipler. You can make disciples even of people who say they have a faith. You can help them come to know Jesus more, right? You can help them understand him. If they don't know him, you can witness to them and help them know Jesus. If they already know him, then you can help them go deeper in their understanding with Jesus. That's what a disciple uh, maker is, helping somebody go from being lost to becoming a disciple maker themselves. We were at a conference the, the other day about this early in the summer. And a guy challenged us as, as church leaders. He said, what's your discipleship uh, pipeline to where you have somebody who's lost and then down here you have that same person now making disciples? How do you guys do that? And we we're kind of like, oh, that's a good question, <laughs> right? And so we begin to pray about that. God, help us to be more specific about how we help you learn how to make disciples, see people come to Christ, and then move them through a process of discipleship to where they're now making disciples. That's what we want to do. That's what discipleship is. I want to give you some examples of oikos, of households coming to Christ, these circles of influence. Acts 10, you might remember the story of Cornelius. The Bible tells us in Acts 10 that Cornelius is a, uh, he's not a Jew, he's not a Christian, he's what the Bible calls a God-fearer. Right, so it means he prays, it means he's a good man, he, he gives to the poor, and it's this, it's this uh, man Cornelius where an angel shows up and says, send for a guy by the name of Peter and have him come back to you because he, he needs something to tell you. You need to hear what he has to say. So he sends a soldier to where Peter is. Peter comes back to where Cornelius is. And Peter goes, what is it? What, what, what can I do for you? Almost like Peter sort of forgot the whole Great Commission thing. You're supposed to tell people about Jesus, remember? But because Cornelius was a Gentile, it was kind of a big deal. In fact, Peter even says, you know this is kind of against the law of God for me to even step foot in your home. I'm not even really supposed to do that. And so he tells them about Jesus. He gives them the gospel of Jesus. And even as he's preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius' family, the whole household. They get saved. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. And some theologians call this the Gentile Pentecost. Because then they begin to speak in, in other languages. And they're kind of going, whoa, I didn't expect this. And then they go, hey, clearly God is with them. What's to keep us from baptizing them right now? And so they find a, a, a place to baptize the whole oikos, the whole family, the whole household. And remember, he's a centurion. He's over 100 Roman soldiers. So he has another circle of influence even in the Roman army. Who knows how God used him there? But everyone in his family comes to Christ, is baptized, and begins discipleship. Here's another story. Uh, I love the story of Lydia. Uh, in Philippi, Acts 16, look at this one with me, Acts 16, 13 says, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river. This is Luke speaking about him being on mission with Paul in Philippi. 
He said, we're, this is where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. So it's not unlike Cornelius. There was a, a sense of uh, prayer and worship in her life. But then it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She gets saved. When she and the members of her oikos, her household, were baptized, she invited us to her home. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she uh, pursued us. I love this story because not only does Lydia come to Christ, her entire family, her entire uh, circle of influence comes to Jesus. And they're baptized. Later in the chapter, in verse 40, it says that she becomes a leader in the church. That the church in Philippi doesn't have to meet by the river anymore. They start meeting in Lydia's home. Isn't that beautiful? She went from somebody who just, who knows what she worshipped, who knows what her faith was, to somebody who believes in the gospel of Jesus, is baptized, starts a discipleship process with all those in her home, and then her, church, her home becomes a place where the church gathers. It's beautiful. There's another story uh, right there in the same chapter about the Philippian jailer. Remember this? Love this story. Paul and Silas are on mission there in Philippi, and they're, th- they're going to be thrown into prison. And you can imagine Paul and, and Silas, they're preaching probably the whole way. They're probably being beaten, because it, later it says that, that, that he bandages and cleans their wounds. So they're, they're probably beaten. They're probably hit with rods. Who knows what happened to them? But they're put in maybe these stocks and, and these these uh, holds in a prison, but it doesn't, it doesn't dampen their spirit or their heart for mission and what, who God is. Because the Bible tells us at midnight, they begin to sing. You know this? They sing in pitch black. I don't know about you, but that might not be the first thing on my mind right then in that moment after being beaten, right? But they're preaching the gospel out loud. They're singing out loud. They're worshiping God. And somewhere in the middle of all that at midnight, an earthquake comes. God causes an earthquake and their bonds fall off. That's where we come to in this text, Acts 16, verse 27. When the jailer woke after this earthquake, he saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. Something about Roman law I've mentioned before is if your prisoner as a Roman soldier escapes, then you have to pay his penalty. So if Paul and Silas were had the death penalty, well, now he's got the death penalty on himself because he let them escape. Who knows if that's the case or if it was just shame. I, I failed my job. But he's suicidal. He's going to kill himself. But Paul cried with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your oikos. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Could have been the wounds that he created. He washed their wounds and he baptized at once. He and all of his oikos, his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Isn't this an amazing story? Five times oikos 
is mentioned in this small text. This jailer and his family go from being maybe the ones who created the wounds of Paul, but he's listening to Paul talk about salvation. And then when God, the, the God of Paul causes this, this earthquake and this, these chains to fall and the gates to, to open up, he's about to kill himself, but he goes from being suicidal in the same night to mending and tending to the wounds of Paul and Silas, feeding them, cleaning them up, worshiping, celebrating their salvation as a family unit. Isn't that beautiful? Amazing what God can do. There may be a family you live next to. There may be a family at your work, uh, somebody that you're like, man, I just don't see how God could ever. You may be that family that God in his grace has reached. Or you may be praying for a family that God in his grace has reached or you want to see reached. There's no telling how they could go from one day to the next. This is a beautiful story of his oikos. There's another story of oikos in, in, in Acts 18. We won't read it, but Paul has been preaching in Corinth for a while. He's preaching in the synagogue. And at some point the Jews say, enough with this. We don't want to hear this anymore. And so Paul says, okay, well, I'm going to shake the dust off my sandals and I'm, I'll go to the Gentiles. They'll listen to me. And one of the people that actually listened to Paul's message of the gospel was the leader of that synagogue, a guy by the name of Crispus, who lived right next door to the synagogue. And so Paul goes next door to Crispus to his home, and he, he's still preaching, and Crispus and all of his oikos, all of his family are saved and baptized. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment. You have influence in your home, at your work, at your gym, wherever you go wherever you work but do we see that as our mission field I love uh, some of the text out of Acts 18 that, that the Lord speaks to Paul Acts 18 verse 9 and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people Friends, can I just tell you, like Corinth, God has many in central Arkansas who are his people. Many. Little Rock, Bryant, Benton, Alexander, Hot Springs, North Little Rock, Maumel, Conway. Where do you live? There are many. And I think God's encouragement to us would be the same that he gave to Paul, which was what? Do not be afraid. How long have, as believers in Jesus, have we just been afraid? I'm afraid to talk to somebody. I'm afraid to talk to my neighbor. I'm afraid to talk to my coworker. What are they gonna think of me? God says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Keep on sharing and do not be silent. And the reality is, that may be what many of us have been for a lot of years, silent. God, forgive us for our silence, and help us to see that you have people, right? All over, all, wherever we live, you wanna reach people. So you might ask this question this morning, why is it so urgent? Why, what's the big deal? Why do you have a series? Why, why are you focused? Why are you so loud? Why is this important? I want us to look at the second half of this text in Acts 17 to answer that question. Would you look with me? Same reason Paul wants these Greeks to know the truth of the one true God. Acts 17, verse 29. 
Paul says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, all these things that you've created, an image made by human design and skill. It says in verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But watch this. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Right? At some point, he, he overlooks such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's risen Jesus from the dead, and Jesus, the Bible calls him Jesus the righteous in some places. He will be the judge. Jesus will judge all mankind on this day of judgment. This is a very serious day, and we need to understand we're being urgent. I'm speaking with passion. I'm speaking loudly because I really want you to hear it. God calls all people to repentance. Repentance is when we agree with God that we are sinners, that he is holy, and that the only hope we have is that we ask him to forgive us, that we believe in our hearts that Jesus died for us, that God raised him on the third day, that he can forgive us and change our lives, and we turn from our way to God's way. That's what repentance is. And the Bible says he commands all people to come to repentance because there will be a day of judgment. You know the good news this morning For those of us who know Christ as our Savior, if we live this life of repentance, if God has saved us, if he's changed us, then he is our righteousness. That's the good news this month. That's the gospel. Look at Romans 4.23. It says, but the words, it was counted to him. This is speaking of Abraham. I'll get back to that in a second. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You might remember the story of Abraham in Genesis. Abraham believed the things that God said. He believed the promise of God. And the Bible says, because he believed, in other words, because he had faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. Friends, that's the same way we're saved. We believe. Jesus said the only work you have to do is to believe. Believe that Jesus died on the cross, that God sent his one and only son for us. When we believe, when we repent, when we turn, when God saves us, he is our righteousness. That text says that he was delivered up for our trespasses. He paid for our sins. And he was raised for our justification. I love the simple definition of justification. Jesus makes us just as if we never sinned. That's what it is. Praise God for him being our righteousness. He calls all people to repentance, right? So that's why it's important. The Bible talks about even in this text today, this day of judgment. Calls Jesus the judge. And he says, Jesus will judge with justice. Now, when I hear the word justice, I think of the phrase, justice will be served. You've heard that phrase, right? When you hear the words, justice will be served, this is what that means. You're going to get what you deserve. 
That's what justice is. Justice, <laughs> when justice is delivered, when justice is served, we get what we deserve. Here's the truth of that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if today you've never placed your trust in him and you haven't believed, you don't believe, friends, i got to tell you, with a broken heart, you are separated from God Almighty. You are an enemy of God. That is the gospel. That if you don't know him, if you have not believed in him, if you've not trusted him, if he's not saved you, you will spend eternity in hell. You need to hear the truth of that. Because today is the day of salvation. You can say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. And you can turn from your sins and be saved today. Here's the good news for those of us who've done that, made that choice and served Jesus. He is our justification. He is our righteousness. And for those of us who have made that choice, we serve Jesus in that way. We don't get what we deserve. You see, payment for sinfulness for somebody who is lost is you pay for it and you go to hell. It's eternal separation from God. But for those of us that trust Christ, God is still just. Justice was still served. It was just served on Jesus, not on us. Penalty was still made to Christ on a cross. He took what I deserved. He paid my penalty. So for those of us who are in Christ, we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Praise God that he's done that for us. The Bible says he's our propitiation. He's taken our place, our penalty. And what Christ has done on the cross is a finished work. So why is it important for us as believers to have a multiply series? To talk about being missionaries? Well, number one, God wants people to be saved. He loves all people. He longs for people to know him. Not to just reach out like the blind, leading the blind, trying to find meaning in life in, in everything but Jesus. Because he's the only one who satisfies. He loves them. He wants them to know truth. Number two, there's a day coming when Jesus will bring justice. Justice will be served. And if you are not in Christ, you will be sent to hell. It's a, it's a very serious and sad reality. <laughs> but here's the good news this morning, friends. You have the message of hope. Can you internalize that for a moment? To a lost and dying world, can you internalize that in your heart just for a second? You have the answer. For those of us that know what it's like to have disobeyed God, to be sinful, to have to be everything God doesn't want us to be and for him to save us and redeem us from hell. If you know that joy, you have in you what the world needs. Are we telling them? Do we care? We can reach them with the gospel. We can pray for them. We can tell them how to be saved so that they might repent and turn to Christ for their salvation. And for them who, who repent, and for us who have repented, I want you to know there's no condemnation at that day of judgment. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, praise God, right? 
Praise God. John 5, 24, Jesus himself says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Today, if you don't know Christ, hear my words, please. Understand the seriousness of your condition apart from God. You can go from death to life. You don't have to walk into judgment and get what you deserve, which is hell. It's what I deserve too. But Jesus loves me enough that he died for me. He loves you. He loves the whole world. We tell people about Jesus because it's a matter of eternal life and death. And you have the answer. There have been times in my life where I've known people who didn't know Jesus and I didn't share the message of hope with them and they died. And that feeling of disobedience, that feeling that I didn't care enough to take the gospel, to have a conversation. Can I just tell you, you're not responsible for their salvation. That's not on you, friend. You're responsible to tell them about Jesus. It's on God to save them. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we just being obedient to tell people about Jesus and leaving the salvation up to him? That's his job. But God is calling us as believers to go. I want to give you a couple of tools this morning before we go that will help you, I think, in, in us understanding what it means to be a witness for Christ in this Great Commission uh, series we're talking about. Did everybody get a, a handout? I meant to bring one up. Did everybody get that handout? So on one side, it has the uh, acrostic from last week, bless. Begin with prayer. I'm just mentioning these to you again. Begin with prayer. Pray for the people that God has laid on your heart that need Jesus. Get to know them enough that you're actually going to listen to what they've walked through, what they have to say. People want to feel loved, and the way that they feel loved is that you're paying attention to them. That you just don't have some agenda, that uh, you're listening so that you can say something right back. Listen to people. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Have a meal with them. Eat with them. Somehow eating with people just, it breaks down walls. It takes us from being acquaintances to friends. Serve people. As you listen to them, you hear the needs that they have in their life. And all of a sudden now you can go, you know what, they said they needed that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get that thing. I'm gonna go do that thing. I'm gonna help them. And when we've begun with prayer, when we've listened intently, when we've eaten with them, when we've served them, there's a good chance that we'll have an opportunity to share our story with them. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done in my life. And I've been praying for you. On the other side is some examples of these circles of influence. There's some places that are blank that if you want to write in, you may be right now looking at those blanks and going, I know who those people are. I know who that neighbor is. I know who that family member is. I know who that coworker is that you need to put in that space so that you can be intentional to speak with them, to go to them. Why? Because you have the answer. You have the hope of Jesus that you can give to them. Friends, there's no telling. There's these other little circles out behind some of those. And I wanted to show that because there's no telling how far God will take the movement of his spirit with the people that you, you reach. 
the people you tell about Jesus. There's no telling who God will reach through your intentionality in being a missionary, and being missional. Here's another tool I want you to know about this morning. It is, uh, it's a website and it's an app called Bless Every Home. The good folks over at Family Life shared this app with me and, and this uh, technology. It's pretty brilliant. As I ask you to be missional in your neighborhood, this is an amazing technical tool, technological tool that you can use. It's an app that you can, you can get. Uh, we have this, uh, do we have the uh, QR code? This is, this is one of the pictures of the app that shows, but here's the QR code. You can literally just, even right now as I'm speaking, you can take out your phone camera, take a picture of that QR code, and it'll take you to our uh, app, our church center app, right where you can download this, okay? So this is just a way to serve you, that you can take a picture, and you can download this to your phone. We would love for you to download this, and this is why. I want to go back to these pictures in just a minute. We're going to leave that up for a minute. Hopefully it's working for you. Just take a picture with your smartphone. Nobody take out a camera. That's not going to do anything but get you a picture. Take out your smartphone, and it should lead you to the app and to the website to help you download this app. All right, now, uh, we'll put that back up here in just a minute, but let's, let's look at some of the other pictures that show you some of the things on the app. This is my, I live on a cul-de-sac. This is my home, our names. On the app, if I click on any of those houses, the, na- the names of my neighbors come up. You see down at the bottom, there's a dashboard, there's daily prayer. Every day it prays for, it, it's, it basically sets up five of my neighbors to pray for, and it just lists them for, I can pray for my neighbors. Uh, un, next to that is the prayer list, where I can literally click on any one of their homes, and it has a journal so that I can pray and keep a journal. Maybe I have a conversation with one of my neighbors, and they tell me they lost a child, and that child's name was this, or that they've been walking through this pain. When I get home, I can go on my app, and I can put those notes in under that neighbor's name. And as, God, as I'm praying for them, I'm praying for those issues. As I meet with them, I can understand these are the things they're dealing with. I can be sensitive to that. And God can maybe use that as we witness to them and share Christ with them. There's a dashboard. There's a prayer. This is the prayer map that you're looking at here. But there's also a dashboard that kind of shows you these different uh, items on the dashboard. Lights, I just downloaded this, so I haven't had time to do a lot of stuff. But the lights recruited are basically, are there other believers in my neighborhood that we can partner to pray for those in our neighborhood? So as you find Christians, in maybe in my cul-de-sac, there's 39 homes. How many, how many lights can I recruit to pray for the salvation of the people in our neighborhood? How many houses have I prayed for? How many houses have I cared for? Have I gone and taken cookies and raked their yard? Or whatever I can do to serve. If, this is so specific. How many houses have I shared Christ with and how many houses have I discipled? What I love about this is this is a, an app for your neighborhood. When you put your address in, it connects uh, to your neighborhood and you, it helps you be missional right where you live. So this is a wonderful tool. We'll put back up the, the uh, QR code so that if you haven't done that, you can. This is just uh, uh, these, 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 this little sheet and this little more technological piece of this app are literally just to assist you as you pray for people, as you are missional. Let me, let me remind you of this as I close. Listen, your life is not an accident. How beautiful that Jesus said, go into all the world as you are going, the Greek says. Sometimes when you hear the word, let's go into all the world, it's like, man, book the tickets to Africa. We gotta go. But if you understand the better translation of 
as you are going, make disciples. Then it means as I go on a walk in my neighborhood, as I go to the gym today, as I go to work, as I am going, I need to make disciples where I live. How beautiful to know that not only did Jesus say, I will be with you to the end of the age, but we know from Acts 1-8 that he's empowered us to go to be his witnesses. And not only that, let's go even deeper, even wider. He created you for this moment. I love the book of Esther, and I love the phrase that Mordecai says to Esther when he says, you're alive for such a time as this. I can say that to you based on this text today. You're alive in this moment. Students, adults, senior adults, you're alive in this moment. There's breath in your lungs because there's purpose for your life because this was God's design. And you live where you live and the boundary of where you live because God wants to use you right where you are to make disciples. Friends, we're on mission. If we know Jesus, we've been sent by him. It's not an accident. May we be obedient as we are going to these places to make disciples, to be intentional to reach lost people, to trust that his sovereignty has placed us in his story in this moment right where we live. So as we leave, uh, what are the circles of influence that you have? Think through them. Use that sheet, keep it in your Bible, keep it at home, maybe on your mirror, keep it in your car. Where am I thinking intentionally about the circles of influence of people in my life? I said this the other day, and I'll close with this. Mission is about God's love for people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That no one would perish, but whoever believes in him can have eternal life. God loves the world. He wants to reach them. Do you love people? I love this text from 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. In the NIV, it says, because we loved you so much, Paul says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Do you love people? Do you love your neighbors? My prayer this morning is that, and we're going to talk about this next week, we're going to lead into this next week. Do we love? Do we have a compassion? Does it move us? that people may be dying and going to hell outside these doors or even in these doors? What are we doing about it? Because we loved you so much, we shared the gospel of God with you and we shared our lives with you. May that be true of us at South City Church. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for uh, Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth to rescue and redeem us. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you have taken my place, that I don't get what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated from you, Lord. But by your grace and your goodness and the gift of salvation in Jesus, you've taken what I deserve. God, I pray with all of my heart this morning, right now, that every heart would be listening. That every mind in this place, watching online, that listens to this message ever, would ask the question, do I know Jesus as my Savior? Have I trusted him? Do I believe this gospel? Have I given my life to him? 
God, your word says today is the day of salvation. May they believe today. And may you help us as the church disciple them to you, Lord, to know you more. That is our prayer. Father, if there's one person here that would even ask the question and just say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I don't know. I just don't know the answer to that question. God, may we be a help to them even today as we sing this song. As we pray, Lord, would you help them to come down this aisle and find me, find another elder, find another leader, and help get that question answered for the, so that you would give them peace, Lord. God, maybe there's believers here that would say, yeah, I've been silent. I haven't said the things I've needed to say. I haven't gone on mission. I haven't shared with Christ, shared Christ with anyone. God, would you convict us and change us and make us an obedient people to the command of the great commission of Jesus that you would multiply and move us as your church to be who you called us to be as fishers of men, as, as missionaries. Lord, we love you and we give you this time. Move by your spirit. Draw us to yourself, I pray, in Jesus' precious and righteous name. Amen.